Acts chapter 2. You guys listening? You listening? Listen to what the Bible says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, there were all with one accord. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the people were shocked, and they were amazed, and they were also confused. Because as these 120 believers, followers of Jesus, came out of this upper room and down into the streets, where thousands and thousands of people were there in Jerusalem, because the people heard the mighty wind, and then they heard all of these people speaking in their own languages. And it wasn't the language that these people spoke. And so these people from all different countries who spoke different languages were hearing these other people speak in their own language. And they were confused. And some said, oh, they must be drunk because they couldn't understand what they were saying. But others could understand them and knew what they were saying. And it says that they were declaring the mighty works of God. And Peter, the apostle Peter, says, don't be amazed at this. This is what the prophet Joel said. And here's what Peter said. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And he goes on to say that he'll pour his spirit out on servants, men servants, maid servants. That means people who are slaves, people who are free. He'll pour his spirit out on people who are rich, people who are poor. He'll pour his spirit out on people who are boys and people who are girls. Upon your sons and daughters, do you know that God will pour his spirit out on you, children? Do you believe that? Do you believe that, children? Old children, young children? Yes. God pouring his spirit out has nothing to do with your age. There's not an age where you have to attain to in order for God to give you his spirit. God gives his spirit as he wills, just like they spoke with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And so, children, I want you to understand that if you are trusting in Jesus, I don't care how young you are, if you love Jesus and you're trusting in Jesus, I want you to know that God has poured out his spirit upon you. And even though you're not old enough to drive a car yet, and even though you're not old enough to do a lot of things the world says you have to be old enough to do, God says, I don't care how young you are, if you trust me, I will give you my spirit and my power. And there is nothing more powerful than you could ever have than God's spirit. And as young as you are, as you trust Jesus, God entrusts you with his mighty power so that you can be a witness to him. Because that's why he gives us his spirit. That's why he gives us his power so that we can be 
a witness to him. And remember what I told you before. Your witness is not just in what you say and what you do when you read the Bible, but your witness is how you obey your parents. It's how you respond to your parents. It's the attitude you have when someone says, I'm sorry you can't do that now. I'm sorry you can't have that now. That's our witness. Everything we do is a witness to Christ. And as young as you are, God will give you his spirit and give you the power to be a witness to him. So don't ever forget that, that you are children. Children, you are a witness to Christ. So be a good witness. Amen? Father, thank you that you call not just our children to be witnesses, but you call all of us to be your witnesses. And Father, as we read your word today, as we read this account in Acts chapter 2, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds by your spirit and that you would enlighten your word and that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that would empower us and embolden us to be your witnesses, to not be fearful of man, to not be fearful of anything man might do to us. But we would walk in power. We would walk courageously and with boldness and give witness to Christ in this world. Father, we ask that you would do this for your glory. You would use us as your people, as your church, and that you would be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read to you today uh, these the first 39 verses of Acts chapter 2, and I feel like it's important to read this um, account of what happened. Because this is not just a historical account that we need to know about. This was something God did that is still relevant in our lives today. The Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost. The Spirit of God is still being poured out today. The word Pentecost can mean different things to different people. Very often when we talk about Pentecost, depending on who you are and how long you've been in the church and what tradition you come from, we sometimes focus on this, this portion of Acts chapter 2 where they came out of the upper room and they all spoke in other tongues. We have whole denominations and whole movements created around whether you speak in tongues or not. Tongues were assigned to Israel. There was a reason why God did this. It was assigned to Israel. It was prophesied in the Old Testament it would happen. And it was assigned to Israel, specifically assigned to those looking for the Messiah. Tongues are not the focus of Acts chapter 2, nor should they be. The focus of Acts chapter 2 and all the other biblical chapters and passages is Christ. All the signs, all the tongues, all the prophecies, and all the prophesying point to him. If those things then and today, because those things still happen today, if those things don't point to Jesus, they are false and misleading and turning our focus onto something or someone other than Christ. So let's read this glorious account of what God did some 2,000 years ago when he 
poured out his spirit, when he kept his promise and poured out his spirit on all flesh. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That means it was nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope 
For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne." He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. This was God's promise. This is what Jesus told his disciples before he went to be to the garden that night when he met with his disciples and they had that Passover and Jesus is telling them it's to my and to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I will send to you the comforter. It was prophesied through the prophet Joel. It was foretold by the prophets. This was the promise of the Father Jesus spoke of when he said, Go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Because not many days from now, exactly 10 days from now, in fact, we know because we know when Pentecost is, 50 days after the resurrection, and 10 days later, they were endued with power from on high. God poured out his spirit. Jesus said, You... John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with fire. And we just read the account in Acts chapter 2, where God poured out his Spirit, and those tongues of fire came upon them. The Holy Spirit, as promised, is poured out. Dwelling in Jerusalem, it tells us, for Pentecost... They were there for Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the feasts when they were all commanded to appear before the Lord. Dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews from every nation, and it lists these nations. And if we looked at a map today, we would see that there were nations listed all over the Middle East, from the Black Sea 
to present-day Turkey, over to Iran and Afghanistan, all the way over to the Italian peninsula. Jews had come from all over the known world for the Feast of Pentecost. And many of those Jews, you can trace world history, you can trace the empires from the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans. And you can see when the Jews were dispersed through the Babylonian captivity, many of them were dispersed throughout the known world and they remained there. They didn't all come back to Jerusalem. When Cyrus, when Darius sent the Jews back and they came back with Zerubbabel and they came back with Ezra and Nehemiah, they didn't all come back. They stayed in their lands and these lands are listed here and they grew up there and they worshiped God there and they had families there, but they kept the law and they would come every year to Jerusalem in obedience to the word of God, to the law of God. And this is what was happening in Jerusalem at Pentecost 2,000 years ago 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. All of these Jews from all over the world, born in all these different nations, speaking all these different languages, had come to Jerusalem in obedience to God. And now God pours out his spirit. And these 120 followers of Jesus, these Galileans were up in this upper room, these uneducated fishermen, these people who were not theologians, who had not been to seminary, who didn't speak necessary multiple languages. They were just simple Hebrew people who were followers of Jesus. The Jesus who had been crucified, the Jesus who had been scourged and beat to a bloody pulp, the Jesus who was touted to be the Messiah, but how could he be the Messiah? Because the Messiah We saw that man crucified, and surely the Messiah would never be crucified. The Messiah is going to come and restore the kingdom to Israel. That Jesus, that was not the Messiah. That was a false prophet. That was not the promised one. That's what many thought. But there were 120 faithful up in that upper room. No doubt there were more than 120 But 120, it is said, met, gathered, waited in that upper room. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God poured out his spirit. And dwelling in Jerusalem were these Jews from all over the known world. For the Jews, the feast of Pentecost marked the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai when Moses delivered the children out of Egypt. And the tradition of the Jews in the rabbinic writings, it is said that at Mount Sinai, when God gives the Torah to Israel, when God gives the law and the commandments and God God asks for a response, will you accept my word? And Israel gathered at the base of this mountain as one man said, yes, Lord, we will accept your word. We will live by your word, by your law, the the, the tradition is, according to the Jews, that in that moment there appeared above the head of each Israelite tongues of fire, indicating that they had received, they had agreed to enter into covenant with God. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that. That's the Jewish, not the, not the Messianic Jewish. That's the Jewish tradition. And here in the 
New Testament scriptures here in Luke's account of what happened at the day of Pentecost, lo and behold, when the Spirit comes, not only the sound of a mighty rushing wind, but now we have tongues of fire appearing above the head of each one of those followers of Jesus, signifying that they had received the Holy Spirit. What happened at Sinai so many centuries previous was just a foreshadowing of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. What God would give his church, not his word written on tablets of stone, but his word written on new hearts, hearts that he gave them, hearts that he created in them, hearts that made them new creations. And this is what was signified at Pentecost. God had written his word on the hearts of his people, the hearts of his redeemed. What happened in Babel with the division of the nations and the languages, God was reversing. In Christ, God is now bringing the one new man together. It's not that physical language berries don't exist anymore. They do. It's that God has made in Christ one new man from the two. Both Jew and Gentile are now one in him. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and through 14, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many We are all many members here today, but we are drinking of one spirit and we have our life in one body, just like the members of your body, your fingers and your toes have their life in one body, in your body. We are the many members of the body of Christ and we have our life in one body. We are many members, diverse in every way, yet created anew in Christ and brought together as one body in him. In Christ, we are no longer separated, but made one. The body of Christ may be separated by geography. It may have different languages. It may have different traditions. It may have different cultures. Those things being the same do not make us one. The conformity... Conformity does not equal unity. You get that, don't you? That is until we are conformed to Christ. It is the unity of the Spirit and the life that every believer has in Christ that makes us one. This is what happened at Pentecost. God poured out his Spirit on all flesh so that he could gather together in one all things in Christ. That gathering is still taking place today. Every day people are born into this world that are to be gathered together into Christ. Our preaching of the gospel with our obedience to make disciples is how they will hear and respond and become one in him in the body of Christ. You were physically born some 2,000 years after Christ. Would you agree with me? If you belong to Jesus, you are born again of the Spirit by grace through faith. By grace through faith, you have become one of the many members of his one body in Christ. 
until Jesus returns one year from now or 1,000 years from now, people will still be being born into this world and being born again into Christ to be made members of his one body. Our unity is not in our conformity to one another. Our unity is in Christ in our conformity to him. Pentecost is when God poured out his spirit on all flesh to gather together in him all who call upon his name from every tribe and tongue and nation. His spirit is still being poured out. The gathering is still taking place and will continue until Jesus returns. Peter stands up with the apostles and he gives witness to Christ and he preaches a sermon. And at the end of that sermon, the Bible tells us 3,000 souls came to faith in Christ, were added to the church that day. And Peter says in verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel when asked, what does this mean? As the people were confused about what they were seeing and what they were hearing. And Peter declares, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. If you read the Hebrew Bible or you read the Septuagint, you'll see that it does not say in Joel the last days. It says afterwards. But it means the same thing. Peter did not misspeak. Peter did not misquote the Bible, that phrase, last days, is used by the prophets in the Old Testament to speak of the days of the Messiah. And that is what Joel is picturing for us. This is what Isaiah says, and this is what Peter is declaring. Peter's use of the phrase, in the last days, was a clarification to the nation as to exactly what days they were in. They were in the last days, or the days of the Messiah. It was the last days in more ways than one. And God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh in the days of the Messiah. In those days, God promised to pour out his spirit. The birth of the church as we know it began that day. The spirit poured out the birth of the church as we know it. There has always been a church. It was exclusively Jewish until this time. But it had always been the plan of God to save all nations through Jesus Christ. The spirit poured out on all flesh meant just that. Not only sons and daughters, young and old, manservants or maidservants, but on any and all who call on the name of the Lord, Jew and Gentile alike. The church is not a Jewish church or a Gentile church. The church is not a black church. The church is not a white church. The church is not a Latino church. It's not a Chinese church. It's whatever descriptor you want to put there. It's none of those. Man does that based on his own prejudice. And we say, well, I'm not prejudiced. Listen, there's only one church. It's the church of Christ. It's the church that belongs to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't care what color your skin is. Jesus doesn't care how old you are. Jesus doesn't care how tall you are, how long your hair is, or whether you have hair at all. Jesus does not 
care what your humanity looks like outwardly. Jesus came to save the world and everyone and every kind and all of its diversity within this world. There is one church. It's his church. And we've got to know that. We've got to live like that. Our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. Our life is either in Christ or we do not have life. If you are not in Christ, you truly are the walking dead. Do you, do you think it's kind of comical that we've got all of these things in the culture that actually mimic spiritual reality? I mean, how long has the walking dead been going on? I mean, I used to watch that years ago, and, and it's still going on. We say, man, why would people make gross shows like that? Who, who would have a mind to come up with something like that? But you know what? It's exactly the condition of many people walking around the earth today. They're the walking dead. If you don't have Jesus, if you're not in Christ, if your life is not in Christ, you are literally the walking dead. It, there's not anything Hollywood can produce that's more disturbing, more graphic than that reality. Outside of Christ, we are all the walking dead. Pentecost is just another Sunday marked on the liturgical calendar for many. For those gathered in Jerusalem, that Pentecost immediately following the resurrection of Jesus was an earth-shattering, life-changing event. That day truly changed the world. It marked the beginning of something as well as the end of something else. It was the end of the Jewish era. It was the end of the animal sacrifice. It was the passing away of the old and the ushering in of the new. A new creation was ushered in. The old was passing away. God would put away for good the system of animal sacrifice that only pointed to the one sacrifice, the sacrifice of his lamb, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That one sacrifice was not to redeem only the Jews, but the whole world. The blood of Jesus redeems all who trust in him. To prove that, God poured out his spirit on all flesh. We don't have time today. We've done it before. Maybe we'll do it again, but you can take the great commandment, the great commission to begin preaching in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth, and it mirrors the outpourings of God's Spirit upon Jew, upon Samarians, upon Gentiles, upon those in Jerusalem, upon those in Judea, upon those in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is teaching us something in the way that he does things. Peter, empowered and emboldened by the Spirit, stands up and preaches to a nation gathered before God. Peter stands and proclaims Christ as both Lord and Christ. You don't imagine, you can't imagine how controversial this was. You can't imagine the risk Peter took in standing before this nation who had just 50 days previous crucified Jesus and put him in his grave 
And then Jesus rises from the dead. And now here is this nation gathered again 50 days later. But Peter is not hiding any longer. He's not fearful any longer because he has just received the Holy Spirit. He's just received power and boldness. And he comes out of that upper room and he begins to preach Jesus And in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What a bold declaration from the man who denied Jesus three times out of fear. The man who hid out for his life, fearful of the same Jews. He is not preaching in fear any longer. This is what a spirit-filled life looks like. It's not fearful of any except for God. It does not keep the truth hidden, but boldly makes it known. A spirit-filled life repents and unashamedly without hypocrisy commands those around it to repent. This is what Peter was doing. At Pentecost, we saw the church birthed in power and a nation called, commanded to repent. Peter rose up and called the assembled nation of Israel to repent of their sin and rejection of Jesus, their Savior and Messiah. Pentecost marked the empowering of the church to call a people and a nation to repent. Those spirit-empowered believers gave witness to Christ, calling men to repent. Pentecost marks the same thing today. Are you listening, church? A church called to walk in the power of God, living and commanding repentance and obedience to Christ. We do not need another Pentecost. We used to sing a song, Lord, we need another Pentecost. No, we don't need another Pentecost. We don't need another Pentecost. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We have the Spirit. We don't need another Pentecost. We just need to obey. We are seeing today the truth, the fruits of a nation and church that has turned its back on God. More specifically, we are seeing the works of the flesh made manifest across our nation because we have a church today that will not preach the truth and will not call men to repentance for their sin and command that they walk in the spirit and no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. Instead, we make excuses and justifications for man's sinfulness. We justify murder. We justify looting. We justify lawless rioting. We justify anything and everything. It doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin, and the church should stand up and call sin what it is and command that men repent and submit their lives to Jesus. This is the problem we have today. The problem is not with the world. The problem is with the church who will not command men to repent. Lawlessness abounds in our nation because lawlessness abounds in our hearts. Life has been devalued because the one who is the life has been rejected. Over 3,000 babies are murdered each day through abortion and no one blinks an eye. Then we wonder how human life can be brutally snuffed out, how rioters can just wantonly loot and destroy and people's 
lives and their livelihoods lost and destroyed for no reason except we have an excuse to do it. All the while, we're debating whether the church is essential. This would be comical if it were not so tragic. The church is not essential because a governor or a president says it is or it is not. The very fact that we can have that debate reveals the true state of our union and the condition of our hearts. We should be appalled at everything that's happening. There is no justification for men to be killed at the hands of law enforcement or men to be killed at the hands of lawless, destructive rioters and protesters. It's not protest. This is just wickedness run amok. And we could say the same thing about all of these situations. Why is life, why has life lost its value? Why do we treat other humans like animals? Even if they act like animals, we don't treat our animals the way we treat other human beings. There is no justification for this. If we have to ask if the church is essential, it has become non-essential for too many among us. Who would say oxygen is not essential? Well, the answer is no one would say that. The church, the body of Christ in the earth is essential to life. And if you don't believe that, you better go back into your Bible. You better begin to pray and you better begin to realize where our only hope is in this life. The only hope we have in life and death is Jesus Christ, and we are his body. We are the church. We are absolutely essential to life. This confusion is not the fault of the world. It is the fault of the church. Plagues and pandemics, riots and lawlessness, brutality and murder are all outward realities of the inward condition of our hearts. The only answer, the only solution, the only healing we will find is Jesus. God is allowing us to eat the fruit of our lips. He's showing us outwardly the condition of our hearts inwardly. Where is the call to repentance? Where are the Peters and the Pauls who will stand up and command men to repent of their sin and pledge their allegiance to Jesus? Listen, Jesus is not an option. Jesus is not someone you get to decide whether you're going to trust in or not. You are not given the option to trust in Jesus. You are commanded to trust in Jesus. And if you refuse to obey the command, you will suffer hell. Oh, Pastor Jeff, you're just offending so many people right now. Well, maybe that's our problem. Maybe we haven't offended enough people yet. How many people do you think Peter offended on the day of Pentecost when he said, you guys crucified your Messiah? You better believe there were some people offended when he said that. But you know what happened? 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Because they were offended to the point that they repented of their sin. And this is our problem in America. We don't want to offend anybody anymore. We want to justify people's sin. We want to justify their bad behavior. We want to make excuses for people. And all the while, God is telling us, stop making excuses for sin. Command men to repent and tell them what will happen if they don't repent. You will die. 
an eternal death, separated from God. And let me just say this, it won't be a pretty sight. You will wish you had listened. The church that refuses to bow to political correctness, where is that church? Where is the church that calls evil evil and good good instead of the church that calls evil good and good evil? Where is that church in America? It may seem like it does not exist, but it does. God always has a remnant. Why? Because God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. God is raising up men with voices that will declare his word and his truth. Men and women who will not compromise the truth. Men and women who are not afraid of being unpopular in the church or in the world. God cannot lie. He will keep his promise. His gospel and his kingdom cannot be stopped. Do you believe the lies of this world or do you believe the truth of God's word? How we live our lives tells us what we really believe. All the enemy has left are his lies. Jesus is the truth that will set you free and anyone else who trusts in him. On Pentecost, the spirit of the living God was poured out, poured out upon all flesh, poured out upon his church, upon God's people who did not love their lives unto death, they were willing to die for the truth. And very many did, and very many still are today. Today in our nation, we have sacrificed truth for popularity. We justify our watered-down version of what we call the gospel for the sake of just one who may hear and make a decision for Christ. We justify a comfortable gospel that is not the gospel to keep people coming back so the Holy Spirit might have a chance to move on their heart. These are all things I've heard pastors and preachers and church growth experts say to me as a pastor that I need to do to give the Holy Spirit a chance to save somebody. Give me a break. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit does not need for us to give him a chance. You realize that, don't you? God has not called us to captivate people's attention. He's called us to command their obedience. And if you're disobedient to Christ today, if you're rejecting Christ, if you're resisting Christ, if you think Christ is just something you can take or leave as you will, I command you to repent of that because that is sin. It's sin. We have become soft cowards instead of bold witnesses. The word witness means martyr. We rightfully associate a martyr with one who lays down his or her life. That is true figuratively as well as literally. Pentecost marked the outpouring of God's spirit upon a church that would become bold witnesses to Christ. It marked the reality that Jesus had come to save the world. Jew or Gentile, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God gives his spirit to all he saves. You are not waiting for power. You're not waiting any longer. If you are in Christ, you have power. You have his spirit, begin to walk in it. Begin to walk in obedience, and you will know, you will know his power. 
We have bought the lie that we need a special experience. We need to speak in tongues. We need this gift or that gift before we can know that we are truly filled with his spirit. Those are all distractions. You are saved. You have been born again. Have you? If you have, you have his spirit. If you have his spirit, you have his power. Now it's up to you to walk in it. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What do we call a powerful Christian? Someone who's not walking around fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Someone who's walking in obedience to God, in the power of God, keeping the word of God, being used by God. That's what we call a spirit-filled Christian. It's guys like Peter and Paul. But it's not just unique to those times. Anyone at any time can walk in that power if they are in Christ. If your answer is no or I don't know whether I'm saved, then call upon his name right now. Repent of your sin and cry out to Jesus and he will save you. He will not only save you, he will give you his spirit and his power. It's a package deal. You don't get his salvation and not get his spirit. You don't get his spirit and not get his salvation. The moment he saves you, he gives you his spirit. They're inseparable. Salvation and the spirit can't be separated. So if you have his salvation, you have his spirit. And if you have his spirit, you have his power. But you have to walk in it. Now, Begin to walk in the Spirit. Get into the Word of God. Begin to grow up in Christ. We need to stop making excuses. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. It will strengthen us and empower us to obey Him and to do His will. The wait is over. Now is the time to work. Boldly live for Christ. Stop being distracted by things that draw us away. Live every day. Live in every way for Christ and for his glory. Our nation is sinking into hell. Only Jesus can pull us up and save us. Only Jesus can make us whole. Stop waiting for someone else to do what God has called you and each of us to do. Walk in the Spirit's life. Walk in the Spirit's power. Be a witness for Christ and don't be ashamed. Be bold. Let's get ready to come to the table. The table that reminds us the price that was paid for us to walk in this life and in this power. The price that was paid so that his spirit could be poured out upon his people, upon his body, so that we could walk in that boldness. So that we could give an answer for the hope that's in us. So that we could shine hope to the hopeless. So that we could tell people there is hope. Stop watching CNN. Stop watching the news channels that, that promote the negativity don't be an ostrich and put your head in the sand. Know what's happening in the world you live in. Know what's happening in our nation. Not so you can be fearful, but so you can be a bold witness and counter, counter the lies of the enemy and tell people honestly and with assurance that God is on the throne. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Your hope is not in worldly peace. Your hope is not in rioting to stop. Your hope is not for the virus to go away. Your hope is not for the economy to recover. Your hope is in Jesus and only in Jesus. That's it.
And this table reminds us of our hope. So Christian, trust in Jesus, hope in Jesus. Come to the table and celebrate and thank him. Today is Pentecost. Spirit of God doesn't come and go from us, depending on what kind of day we're having, how obedient we are. Once given, he's always with us. Let's stand. God poured out his spirit 2,000 years ago on all flesh. He is still pouring out his spirit today, and he will continue to do that. Jesus instructed his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. We're not waiting any longer. The wait is over. It's time to work. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on all flesh. That's how we can benefit from that outpouring. The same Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the Spirit that dwells in you. The Spirit of God is poured out. We're not waiting. It's time to work. It's time to see the nations discipled. Let's begin with our own nation. Let's begin with our own self. Let's begin with those around us. Let's move out from there. But let's purpose. Let's pray to this end that our nation be discipled and the nations be discipled. We're called to preach the gospel. We are called to make Christ known. We are all called to the work of ministry. This is not a professional clergy responsibility. This is the responsibility of all the body of Christ, of every member. The Bible calls you saints, not because of how good you are, but because of how redeemed you are by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus. That means we all have a part to play in discipling the nations in the name of Jesus. We are commanded to go and do the work of the kingdom, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do this until Jesus returns again bodily to reign and to rule bodily on this earth. More than ever, your family, your friends, your city, your state, your nation need a church filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. That means a people walking under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit obeying the word of the Lord. Wickedness and lawlessness is running rampant in our nation. We need the power of God in the people of God to manifest his holiness and righteousness and boldness to confront the evil of our day. It begins with each of us, but it can't stop with us. Spread the word, pass the light, set yourself ablaze with the glory of God and burn away the darkness that seeks to consume our nation, that seeks to consume you and your family. Let us fight the good fight in the battle before us. God is faithful. Our enemy is defeated. Jesus has already won the victory. Amen.